spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to episode 38. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, we talk to New York-based, Haitian-born, Haitian-raised comedian, Tanel Joachim, sometimes known as TJ. Very funny comedian. Check him out online. Link in the show notes as usual. Okay, this is a good episode. We talk about identity. Who are we? We all need an identity. We walk around, are we walking around as the person we were, the person we are, or the person we want to be? Who is that? You tell me. Enjoy this episode with me, Matt Kaplan, and Tanel Joachim. Yeah! You're from Haiti. I am. This is true. You were born and raised in Haiti? Yes. Okay. Now, I heard there's a legend that you were conceived on the night of the big earthquake. <laughs> your mom engulfed your dad. That would make me boom. five and a half years old. <laughs> Are you not five and a half years old? No, I am so much more than that. I'm actually 47. Get out. I just look good because black doesn't crack. No way. Yeah. Wow, you look amazing. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I use a lot of lotion. That's what it is. I don't know if you guys know that. Lotion is for black people. What sunscreen is for white people, you know? Yeah. You just use it to stay alive. That's how it goes. See, I'm kind of a uh, beige and greasy. I don't really need to put anything on my skin because I'm naturally You don't burn oil. in the sun in the mm. summer? No, I just deep fry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. that much oil. <laughs> <laughs> you want to have the lucky whites. Yes. If, Good. If yes, sometimes I don't feel white because I've been, uh, I've had things happen to me, like being removed from an airplane, uh, being denied I, a hotel I could see room. That. I could see that. There's a little bit of a ambiguous. There's an ethnic ambiguity. Could be Persian. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Enough to set off the the red right. flags. Hey, Isn't you, that you just look like you're up to no good, Gary? <laughs> it, could, it could be the mischievous. <laughs> yes. He's a, he's a bad boy. Yeah. But. Being born in Haiti, raised in Haiti, what age did you leave? I came here in 2008, so I think I was 
18 turning 19 years old. Okay, yeah. so yeah, pivotal time. Because, yeah. I mean, that's got to be some serious culture shock. I mean, I moved from California to California and back, and that alone within the same country was right. a big culture shock right. for me. A lot of adjustments. Yeah. And that's not even a different language. Right. So imagine beyond the culture shock, you have to pick up a new language. And, you know, I had basic, because you take English classes and you you imagine that's going to be enough to come over here and talk to people. But you get here and you realize, oh, my God, I know nothing. I don't speak any English at all. Yeah, you know the words, but you don't know how to speak. Exactly. Because when you take classes, they don't teach you how to speak. They teach you rules. You learn rules and rules don't allow you to have a conversation in real life you, you would sound like a robot to yeah like i could conjugate verbs i knew words and yeah. pronouns and all that stuff but formulating a thought and putting it out to say something that wasn't working so i had to do a lot of work to speak english properly yeah what was the biggest adjustment you had to make culturally uh I mean, I, the people in Haiti know. must be so different than the people in New York. Yes. People, generally speaking, I don't know if it's because of uh, poverty or just the mindset. It's a very community-oriented lifestyle. Like the way I grew up is it takes a village. So if like some neighbor saw me doing something wrong in the streets, uh-huh. he could whoop my ass. And my parents would be totally cool with that because that's what people would do. That's the cultural norm there. Yes. Wow. We're here. It's total opposite. No, don't fucking touch my kid. That's what would happen in America. Don't look at my kid. Right. They would sue you if (laughs) you discipline somebody else's kid. But our motto isn't even it takes a village. Our motto is like every man for himself. Exactly. Every man for himself. So that that was a bit of a thing. And, you know, I had to also the way you talk to people is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. How you know, so? Like, you know, you see, it's more like, I think there's some of that in America, but it's, it happens in small towns where you just friendly with neighbors. Like you go to a store, you got to have a conversation before you buy anything. Uh-huh. You learn about them. So I came straight to New York to go to school and people don't have time for that. Yeah. Would you have to have a conversation with them out of obligation or just because it felt natural? Because it felt natural. Yeah. Okay. It's just kind of the norm. You talk to people. Okay, because I've done some traveling, and uh, like in, in Western Europe, for example, it's customary if you sleep over someone's place, they give you their bed. Yes. They'll sleep yes. on the couch, and mm-hmm. you take the bed. Yeah, that's the polite thing to do. That's the polite, and that's what everybody did. Like, as we were touring through Europe, every time, like, oh, no, you take the bed. Like, that's the norm. And they make dinner, and they make you breakfast in the morning. And um, it's just so much more hospitable than the United States. Yeah, if States. you come over, they have to feed you. That's like the saying is, in my house, any guest is a king. That's what people do. Yeah. Yeah. But then I started to get the sense that it was uh, just from a couple people. Like, they're like, oh, like as an obligation. Right, right. And I was like, no, you don't have to give us your bed. Like, we're fine to sleep out here, you know? Just yeah. you stay in your bed. And I was kind of like, no, no, stay in your bed, stay in your bed. Like, no, 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 I insist, I insist. I'm like, that's a very personal thing. I mean, it's one thing to feed someone to stay at their place, but to give your bed up. I mean, that's very that's personal. What, yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't even think of it like that. So you, they hardly know. If they don't have a guest room, you take the bed. Wow. Yeah. Americans are, uh, we're our own little culture. 
Yeah, it turns. I mean, I guess it works for capitalism. Mm-hmm. You have to be very individualistic to become like a wildly rich and successful person. That's kind of a part of the game, right? But the, so it's and a the, mindset. It is, and but the irony, and I think Americans tend to forget this, and I like that Obama talks about it, is like, well, the roads you took to get to your job where you made millions of dollars were paved by everyone's tax exactly. dollars, <laughs> which is why I hate. Whenever I hear some successful person, a lot of rappers say it like I'm self-made. Right. That doesn't exist. Not if you grew up in the projects. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> exist. There's no such thing as self-made. Whatever you do, there were people, even if it was not direct, that help you right. get to that place. Yeah, no one does anything completely by themselves. Right. Like you a writer, you had to read books so you could acquire your skills to write. You you rap music, you you say words. You had to listen to people before you. Right. You had to learn something somewhere along the way to get you to that place. So to even have the balls to sit there and say I'm self made, I taught myself everything. That's such bullshit. You you heard music on public radio? Where the public radio come from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. I think Americans tend to forget that. Though on the flip coin of that, we do think very individualistically, which could lead to a lot of, uh, you know, uh, independent thinking, right. forward thinking. Right. And personal greatness. Yes. Personal greatness. I agree. Yeah. So it's always a balance. Have you been back to Haiti? Yeah. The last, I, the recently, um, Christmas, I was back there for about two weeks. You have family there. Cause it's been about three years since I went. So I was like, I have to go and it's a little bit expensive. So I try to ration out when I go, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I went back and I was a little anxious and dreading it because of the whole comedy thing. What about the comedy thing? Because my parents don't approve of me doing comedy. That's not what they wished uh-huh. I was doing. Are your parents in Haiti? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did you move here on your own? Yes. I came here to go to school and I dropped out of school. Oh, they must have loved that. Yeah. They were so proud. <laughs> <laughs> and I started doing comedy and they thought it was a phase. And I'm like, no, that's actually what I like. I want to do this because I really, really love it. And you're good at it. Yeah, I would, I'd you? like to think that. No, they haven't. Well, my mom saw a clip of me. Uh, I think that sort of made a slight change in her mind because I did Access TV. Yeah. So that was on television. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all the parents like, oh, yeah. TV, look. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, but there's no money. And right. immigrant parents, to them, that's the best language you can speak. Money. Yes. Because they want you to be safe. <laughs> well, it's like... And to them, safety means you have a decent amount of money to fall back on. And my I parents can't are like show that. them money. I think most parents are like that. They just want you to not starve to death. Right. More right. so than be happy. Like, be miserable, but at least put a roof yeah, over your yeah. head. I can blame them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not a parent, so I yeah. can't speak to that. We're from but. different worlds. How long after you started speaking English on a regular basis did you take the stage to do comedy? Well, I started school in August 2008, dropped out in 2010. Then I did a couple of jobs all over the place. I worked at a summer camp. Then I went and worked in Utah and came back. That's why the idea was cemented that I was going to be a comedian. So August 2012. Wait, there's a gap in time here. Because if you came here when you're 18, 19, it, you, you must have come here what year? Like in the 90s, right? 2000 
What year is it now? No, Hold I mean, I'm not good at math, but you're 47 now, you said, right? Is <laughs> that, that was, true? No. That's that not was true. That a joke. That okay. was a really bad joke. <laughs> hey, man, I'll believe anything these days. I'm 27. You're 27. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, I caught you. All right, let's do the math. Yeah. All right, so you came here to go to school when you're 18, 19, mm-hmm. 2008. Right. All right, see, can't lie to me. I'll catch up. <laughs> Eventually, the math catches up. That's man. right. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, wow, he's so immature for a 47 year old. So there was, there was a big, a big uh, challenge for you to learn English in a conversational way. But then four years later, you're on stage, which is has to be in your own style, your own words. So right. That's, that's a big jump. Yeah, there. it was definitely a big leap. And in my early days, what would happen was if if the set isn't going well. I would, my English would get worse. That was like a nervous would, tick. Yeah, I would lose the confidence. Yeah. And it was very nerve wracking. But as I did it more and got better at it, and it's kind of, it's better now. Would you just start speaking Haitian? Not really, but my accent would get worse and uh-huh. I couldn't grasp the language yeah. anymore. Yeah. Are you afraid you're going to lose uh, your sense of the Haitian language? No, not at all. That's never going to happen because... That happens with young children. If you come here when you're, let's say, seven, eight, mm-hmm. and you just start right. get thrown into America and speak English, you might lose it. It's embedded in your long-term yeah, memory. That's, I think, in both now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you want to leave Haiti? Well, the idea was a uh, better education, better chance at a better life. Yeah? Yeah. What do you mean by a better life? What's a better life? Uh... Access to things that I probably would not have in Haiti. Like what? Higher education, which is the one that I threw out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so that that is not in the equation anymore. But a chance at being more successful. more So, so more money. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I'm curious what a better life looks like. Cause, uh, That's also a very a thing that I'm kind of conflicted about. Because there's a lot of things in America that... Most people would see as, oh, this is a good life. And I don't really see them like that. Well, we know by now that money doesn't necessarily bring right, happiness. Right. So when you're describing Haiti to me and it takes a village, I'm like, oh, that sounds really lovely. Actually. Yeah, I always, I'm always, you know, I went back for, for the holidays and I was having a good time. It was, you know, family and friends. And very simple things, but I was very happy to be there. And there wasn't the anxiety yeah. of, you know, when you're in America, you got to go to work every day and all of that stuff. We work harder than most. Yeah. I don't think it's healthy. No. The only thing healthy about New York is the fact that we got to walk all around and <laughs> climb up and down subway stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think life should be one big job. You don't think so? No. Life is to be uh, enjoyed? Yeah, I think we're here for, you know, to contemplation. You have, like, uh-huh. at best 80 years, so you're supposed to I would contemplate learn. that, but I don't have time. I've got to go to work. <laughs> Definitely, this culture, it's, it's all about the job. You meet someone yeah. at a party somewhere, what do you do? You know, not how are you right, or what right. makes you happy or anything like that. Yeah, and I hate when, you know, 
What are you up to? Uh, that question always puts pressure on me when people ask you that. What are you up to? Like, what have you been up to? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this. But what's next? What's the... Right. You always got to be working on something. There's no time for you to just... I'm chilling. I'm enjoying life. So it's got to be career-oriented. If yeah. your answer is like, yeah. oh, I just started planting some vegetables. People, No, no, no. What are you really doing? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like we have a sense of... You hear this all the time in business. You got to keep growing it. Got to keep growing the business. Keep going more and more and more. Exactly. But Nothing when, is ever enough. And I think that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, because things can't keep going bigger no, and bigger. No, because the world on the resource level is very finite. Yeah, exactly. So where do you find your, like, what is best for you? You're, you came here looking for a better life. So far, I'm not convinced that this is going to give you the better life. I mean, New York's rough. It is, but I like this thing. This podcast and, right now? <laughs> yeah, I love this apartment and all the equipment. It's great. Yeah, I like going on stage and talking to people. There's a very good connection that I, I get from it that I never felt from anything I've done before. Connection. Yeah, the connection. And that's it. how you know it's a good show, right? Yeah. When you're connected with the audience. Yeah. You're up there and you're talking to these people and there's this transfer of energy and does love. So I enjoy it. Right. Yeah. So what you're talking about is connection with other people. And that's the joy that you get from stand up. But then when you say it takes a village in Haiti, I'm like, well, there's the connection and the right. community right, right there. It's all about connection, I think. So why would you come here in a doggy dog New York world when you could be there where it takes a village? Like humans? right now or because it didn't, I didn't plan to come here to do that. Uh-huh. So it's like my life took this 180 and I'm going with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I were to go back to Haiti right now, I would, it would kind of be a step back because we don't have stand up comedy and I wouldn't have the environment of New York City where that's where the best comedians are made. But do you think you can maybe get that connection that you get? The satisfaction from stand up is the connection. Do you think you can get that? Just uh, in another way in Haiti. Possibly, but there wouldn't be the creative drive and the artistic challenge. Mm, right. Because I also enjoy coming up like I'm in the shower and I think of something. Oh, I want to go on stage and, and try that. See what happens. Yeah. So that it, in and of itself is a, is a reward. Satisfying. There's no stand up at all in Haiti. The, uh, now they're starting to sort of bring it out, but stand up. As an art form, like one guy on stage in front of people, that that's not a thing yet. Is it like culturally or people are like, uh, if you have something to say, we can just talk about it, you know, when, when we see it. What, what is this that <laughs> you need of, to I be mean, getting all the attention comedy, just not point. that specific yeah. kind of comedy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, they have just different forms of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is the big uh, form of entertainment? Uh, well, a lot of music. Mm -hmm. Music is, the, I think, the most powerful language yeah. out of all the arts, really. It is, isn't it? That's yeah. the one thing I hate about stand-up is that you're bound by language. Yeah. So we can do our stand-up all over the world, but we're only doing it for English-speaking people. Yeah, we'll never be as cool as musicians. Music It's the international language. Yeah, because the advantage musicians have is they have two instruments. They can use language and they can use music, which is also a language in and of itself. Yeah. Because you can just play something without saying a word and you make people feel so many deep things. Yeah. I can't do that with a joke. No, you can't. So I have to speak to you. I'm bound by this. That's why it's more difficult than music. It's a more heady art form. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's not an emo It can elicit emotions, but uh, 
As you long gotta, as you speak the you language. You gotta be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, cause I'm, I'm conflicted too, which is why I'm asking about this. Cause I used to live upstate before here. And okay. uh, upstate, I, I had to take a break from city. So I was living in a small town and there everyone knows everyone's name. You walk down the street, mm-hmm. you see it's very community oriented. And it was another hard adjustment for me to come here. And I could imagine Haiti, from what little I know about it, is even more community oriented. Yes, it is. Especially because because of the poverty. Poverty kind of teaches you how to group together and stay with people. Like I, I was lucky enough to be the kid where a lot of other kids would come to my house and mm-hmm. eat because my parents, you know, they worked hard and we'd have more food than some of the other kids. So they would come over and eat with my You're family. you like upper, upper middle class in Haiti? I wouldn't say upper, but because there's really no like middle class in Haiti. It's either poor or wealthy. Yeah, it's uh-huh. almost like America in a way because you, we have our own little one percent. You do, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's kind of ridiculous to see the the amount of wealth and juxtapose with the amount of poverty. Like I don't know how wealthy people don't feel shame when they <laughs> drive in the streets. It's amazing, yeah. Because you have all of this shit and then you see people the way they live. It should make you sick to your stomach. You just got to block it out. I mean, we see it here in New York City all the time. How many times do you pass someone passed out in a wheelchair that feed yeah. themselves? Yeah, it's insane. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I'll just keep checking my email on my iPhone. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's one of the marks of capitalism. Whenever you see a lot of wealth, it comes with a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Concentrated on, on the two ends and then just something in the middle. The only place I'd never really experienced that was traveling through Western Europe. I mean, I didn't see much poverty there at all. Yeah. It's much more even. Yeah, they, they tend to believe more in the, the egalitarian type of society. Because mm-hmm. I remember one of the actors from Game of Thrones, he was doing Colbert. Mm-hmm. He, he's the guy who plays uh, Jamie Lannister. He's from Denmark. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the countries people talk about, like More Bernie socialized. Sanders talk yeah. about it all the time, where people pay a huge amount of taxes. And that ensures that most people get to go to school for free. Yes. It's a more communal. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's a good thing. I mean, it, people who want to have more money might be annoyed at the fact that they have to pay taxes. But then it comes back to you because, because I paid taxes. That means this kid next door is probably not going to be in the streets robbing me because he gets to go to school for free now. Now, I wonder if this is my, uh, program, my American brain programming, but does that inhibit greatness like thinking very outside the box and thinking very individualistically that's what makes america great is like we accomplish all like apple computer windows we accomplish all these things because we're not bound by customs and traditions we're raised to think very independently right it makes america and i've been trying to express this idea on stage i haven't gotten it right yet i think that idea makes america a great business Mm -hmm. and not so much a great country Oh, personality-wise, person to person. Right. That's why America is so successful, because it focuses on the individual being as great as he or she can be, mm-hmm. and not so much the community. And I feel like if you're a country, like the way Denmark or like other Scandinavian countries do it, your main priority would be 
the people that make up the country. Right. So you want to make sure they have a decent life. My God doesn't care so much about people. They care more about what can you bring to the table. Yeah. Everything is up for sale. And that's kind of why it runs so deep. And everybody's got, you know, you chant USA whenever you want because you have this idea of it. Like prisons in mm. America are traded on Wall Street. Yeah, the private ones. Right. Yeah. How crazy is that? It's pretty crazy, but not to get too e into the economics of it. It does kind of give money back to the, you know what I mean? Rather than the, rather than the people. Yes, it does. But like, isn't there some sort of mold dilemma? Like prisons. The, the totally. only reason that a prison can make money is by putting more people in prisons. Right. So if you're trading this, that means you have to find a way to keep the business going. And how, how does that work? You got to find more focus to put in prison. But then if you, true. But to play devil's advocate, if you don't have the private prisons, that means the taxpayers have to pay for the prisons. Why is that a bad thing? I, well, everyone, no one wants to pay taxes here. It's just <laughs> a problem. You know, everyone if you're trying everything. to keep undesirable elements out of society, why would you not want to pay for it so that they don't have to bother you? Yeah. But then if some politicians like, hey, why don't we privatize the prisons so you don't have to pay for it? These companies will build them and then they'll make the money. Right. It's it's all about... How do they even make the money? Where does the money come from? How do they make an income from housing and feeding all these people? Uh, the prisons? Yeah. Well... Well, there's no income with prisons. I mean, if it's privately owned, I'm assuming there's some sort of arrangement with the judicial they, system are they getting federal funding i mean that's they they have because if it's a private prison and your prisoners get to come to my prison i'm not doing it for free right yeah so the judicial system has to pay them to house all those prisoners i'm gonna have to research this yeah that's the only lot i mean there would be no way for some why I mean, otherwise you, is, you know making license plates and things like that, that prisoners, <laughs> pretty much prisoners do do they do that or is I that just the cartoons I, I, I don't think they do it anymore, but I still, prisoners are working yeah. and, and they get some money themselves. And I guess the rest, the majority of it, the, the prison keeps. Are they working? Yeah. What are some of them, they do work. So it's, it ends up being free labor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. This is interesting, but it's a side note because yeah. it's not about you, TJ. <laughs> Let's get back to you. Okay. Yeah. You're the Let's guest get back here. back to me. I'm the man of the hour. That's right. It's all about you. So coming here. The adjustment, you're a very dark-skinned black man. Yes. Now, I've experienced some racism being Jewish in this country. Mm -hmm. And some people don't even know I'm Jewish. Some people know I'm Jewish. And I've been denied a hotel room. I've sat in, I've been in Austria with like Austrian hipsters talking about dirty Jews. And Damn. I'm like, this is why I never say I'm Jewish <laughs> when I'm traveling. So have you experienced uh, racism, bigotry? Oh, yeah, but... Nothing in my face. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it happens behind closed doors, little things like that. But, you know, subliminally. Right. Subconsciously. Yeah. I think I'm physically imposing. So some people might not be as comfortable mm -hmm. saying something to my face. Right. Because with you, it's more obvious. With yeah. me, I've, I've, I've sat there and heard people talk about yeah. Jews because they don't know I'm Jewish. Right. But you feel it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. But yeah, yeah also size-wise, if I was going to insult one of you two guys, it would be <laughs> Gary every time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am officially the weakest one in this room right now. <laughs> yeah, just little things where, you know, 
I remember I was trying to get in a building in the city and uh like break in? No. <laughs> you know how we do. <laughs> and uh the the person I was going to see wasn't buzzing me in yet. So uh-huh. I was waiting and then some guy, some white dude, it's in the village, so like we're a white building. So he's going in and I tried to follow him. Mm-hmm. And he like, wait a minute. Who are you here to see? Do you know anybody who lives in this building? Just shit like that. Stuff yeah. he would never say to a white person. So you get used to that kind of stuff because it's it's America. And Does it bother you? Does it anger you? Yes, but I know it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I know that's a part of the society that I've lived in. So that anger would be like a waste of my energy my mental energy because i know that's what it is that's very mature are you sure you're not 47 (laughs) no and one time i was in uh times square with a friend of mine we're having food at this restaurant kind of like upper middle class restaurant Mm -hmm. so i went to use the bathroom and the manager denied me entrance to the mm-hmm. bathroom thinking that i just walked in from the street like how could you possibly be eating here wow right <laughs> yeah that's the kind of stuff i would assume would happen yeah do you yeah. think though growing up in haiti um is is a, a reason why it, you've been less affected by it i mean you didn't you didn't grow up as a child feeling racism in the same way exactly a, a, a black child and i would say i'm lucky that i grew up in a country where most people are black mm-hmm, so right. that means It's not not, deeply embedded in you. Yeah, I did not suffer from racism on that level. Like, I know what racism is. Right. But I just, I went through, like, regular, like, I was was raised kind of the way a a white child was raised in America. Mm Mm-hmm. With mostly people that look like me. Like uh, lots of psychotropic drugs. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So I'm lucky I don't have the the deep-seated paranoia that black people in America have. Because that's, ooh, that's pretty... Yeah, that's, you've raised an interesting point because I do think growing up with that is completely different. Yeah. And you, Cause you know, your, your presidents, your teachers, your cops, everybody is black. Mm-hmm. So there's not that like fear that you have. And when you look at, oh, that's, yeah. What I, if I lived in Haiti, would I experience bigotry towards me? Being no, a, being because a weird looking white Jew. No, people they would accept you. I mean, you would feel different. Yeah. But you would be accepted because Haiti is not built and does not have a history of that the way it exists in America. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. it absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. So you're you're Haitian, so do you feel a difference and you still have an accent? Do you feel a difference between like there's all kinds of different uh, black people here. Mm-hmm. Like if people say, if people call you African American, do you not relate to that? I mean, some people, a lot of people think I'm African. Uh huh. Yeah. I probably because of the skin complexion and maybe the accent. They don't know the accent. Yeah. A lot of people think it's West African, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense because Haitians are sort of long lost cousins with Nigerians and those people. So, and we tend to like when we say Asians, like if I was a Japanese person, I'd be like Asians, what are you talking about? Right, right. So right. like I, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, do you feel this? Like, I'm not an African American. I'm a Haitian. I'm a Haitian man. Right, right. I think people, white people specifically in America, tend to lump in black people as this monolithic 
group of people and it's just no yeah because it's not even the same parts of the earth no there's, yeah. a, there's a bunch of us and there's so many ways that you can be black so it's not just this one thing and it's free for all that's not what it is at all there's mm-hmm. very cultural very strong cultural differences yeah so do you feel that separation like in inside of you oh sometimes yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah because i mean like i've spent time in spain and they don't think of mexicans as them they're not like at a, all. Not at all. No. So that's, that's a very American thing to just call everyone Hispanic for the census and voting and things yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. If you speak Spanish, you're all the same. Yeah. So Pretty much. Yeah, that's interesting because, I don't know, there's not that many Haitian people here that I know of doing No, comedy. not that many. There's a decent, well, doing comedy, probably not as much, but there's a decent <laughs> amount. Uh, Southern Florida, in New York, a lot of Brooklyn, Queens, uh, Jersey, and in Massachusetts, Boston area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you miss your Haitian culture? Oh, I do. I do. But I, I, I have a lot of Haitian music on my phone. I've, I, I never go that far from it. Yeah. Because you're listening to the music. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a part of who I am. It's not, it's not like I left when I was two. I'm like 500% Haitian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're very, yeah. Are your parents more proud of you now that you're uh, succeeding in comedy or getting forward, moving well, forward? I don't know if I'm succeeding on their terms. <laughs> well, seeing you on a television is, is a big help. Right, right. They're, no, they're not. I don't think they'll ever be on board with it. Until you're making and I've, dollars. I've, yeah, I've sort of made peace with that. Yeah. But I mean, once you're making money then they'll they might might feel differently about it i guarantee you they will yeah and that's that's one of my biggest fears that because i want them to know that i'm okay Mm -hmm. and my parents aren't that old Mm -hmm. but i'm really afraid of them dying without knowing that i'm okay right and knowing you're okay is what supporting yourself yeah Mm-hmm. That I'm fine with this thing. Because yeah. it's a big gamble that I took on my life. Like, this is a thing I could be doing for 20 years and no one would know who I am. It's, yeah. a, it's show business. It's a very difficult thing to do. And you know, with in the entertainment industry in general, you could be successful, but then you still got to keep working and keep Exactly. You can't just live on, oh, I had one successful album. That's it. Yeah. Got to keep working. You got to come up gotta with another relevant. hour. That's why I have so much respect for people that, you know, anyone can be hot for one two even three years Mm -hmm. but to stay relevant in a field like that that takes an incredible amount of work and talent and luck so do you have a backup plan no no you're all in that's what i want to do so even if it doesn't work out i'm gonna be happy i live that life you know you won't regret yeah yeah because regrets only happen for things that you don't try exactly so you're going for it yeah I think by the end of this podcast, we're going to make your parents proud of you. (laughs) I don't think they'll listen to this podcast. (laughs) Is is it anything? Is it more than money? Do they feel like you've turned your back on your your family, your Haitian culture? Do they do they want you to be your 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 mate, be a a Haitian person? I think there might be some of that because it's not something they know. So to my mom, I'm kind of a clown. She doesn't know what this is. This is a very new thing. Stand right. up. She just thinks yeah. you're a clown making. Yeah, it's right. like what what is happening? Cool. Yeah. Like, so when yeah. when you're an immigrant parents, they have very specific views on what you should do with your life. Mm-hmm. These are the big three: doctor, lawyer, engineer. Right. Those are the things you do, and you make money, and you take what some if, of that money. What if home. we explain it to your mom like <laughs> comedians are the modern day philosophers? 
You know, we make social change by the things we talk about. You could explain it to her and maybe she might get it. But I don't think that would be enough to make her accept it. Would she be more proud of you knowing that you were creating a positive social change rather than just being a clown and making people laugh? Possibly. I think it's one of those things where, because I don't know if your parents are like that, but the way my parents or a lot of Haitian parents work is if some other adult that they respect or admire embrace something and tells them that it's okay, right? then they'll be okay with it. Yeah. Like, but, let's say some her pastor or somebody like that were to tell her, hey, it's fine what your son is doing. It's actually a good thing. He's saying good things on stage. She would probably be way more open to it. Here, instead of a pastor, it's more like someone like Conan, David Letterman. Ah, uh, okay. I see. Yeah. Once <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they put That's you on their show and yeah. say you're okay, then it's like, oh, my son is yeah. great. Yeah. But yeah, no, that makes total sense, actually. Mm-hmm. But... um. You're also kind of here, just to put it in a bigger frame, you're yeah. also kind of here as a social ambassador to Haiti. You're introducing, you're the only Haitian person that I've talked to in this kind of depth. Mm -hmm. So you're bringing this world to the American people and you're kind of opening people's eyes. Right. You're not and, just a clown making people laugh. <laughs> and I feel that pressure sometimes, but when I go back and say, I'm like, I shouldn't be worried about it. Because, yes because I'm Haitian, almost everything I do is representative of Haiti. But then also, I'm just a guy telling jokes. Does it feel like a so responsibility? Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility that I don't want to have to deal with every time I go on stage. No, you're the ambassador for a whole country now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm just trying to have fun and say things I want to say. You think about that next time you bomb. You just bomb for <laughs> Haiti. <laughs> you just caused My another earthquake. people. <laughs> have any, like, uh, have you attracted Haitian Americans to come see you yeah uh, just for some that reason them. alone some of them and yeah. i i'm very mindful of well i'm not mindful i just do what i do on stage and i try not to do i don't even know what that would be like to do haitian comedy right. where i'm just this guy on stage talking about haitian stuff and it's just well who am i trying to talk to this about i'm trying to do comedy for people i don't care who, where you're from i want to do something that's compelling enough where anybody who's in the audience would get what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So it would be a waste of my time and complete waste of energy to go on stage and do something only for Haitians. Well, you picked a really good time to be black because people... <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the cops would disagree. <laughs> okay, <laughs> That's true. But I think people in America are more interested than ever in other cultures. Yeah, I would say there's a little bit of that happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good choice on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. My parents did it for me, so <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. But do you, I like what you said about stand up, uh, how you enjoy the connection and the communication. Yeah. Cause that's something I tell myself, like, you know, I have to be philosophically motivated. So like when I get on stage, before I get on stage, I'm like, all right, I'm not here for me. I'm here for the audience. Like I really, I'm here for them. Mm -hmm. And that gets me out of my head where I'm like thinking about my hands or, you know, it's not about me. It's yeah. about making this audience laugh, feel connected to them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost spiritual when, when that happens, it mm -hmm. hasn't happened that many times, but there's been a few, very few times where I'm on stage and 
you almost feel like what's happening is is like this communal experience and you just happen to be the guy that's leading it. Mm-hmm. It's not even your thing anymore. Is it a mantra that you tell yourself before you get on stage? Is there some sort of process? Yeah, I, I try to do that because I go on stage and like, oh, these, these are the, the, the people that are in front of me right now. And I have to give them a good time and have a good experience with them. Right. And I'm, of course, the captain of it, but it's really a conversation I'm having with one person. You got to think of the audience as one person. You do that. You think of them yeah. as one person. Yeah. Interesting. I like how you call yourself the captain. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. done with the microphone, so yeah. I'm leading it. Yeah. But they have to be willing to follow what I'm doing for it to work. Right. And they don't want to see you nervous. They want you to, exactly. they want you to be the captain. Yeah. Yeah. So do some captain shit. See, the a problem I have is like sometimes I'll come out and I'll see the audience. Then I might see someone and subconsciously I'm like, oh, that person's a fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's, that's, that's a problem. Cause I know comedians, then that way you alienate, you will, you know, like 95% of the audience just for one asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it's one person, you got to think of it as uh, maybe that person's foot isn't having a good time, but I got to focus on the rest of the body. You almost have to come out loving the audience. Yeah. And yeah. do you come out loving the audience as one person or as a group of people? As one person. One I person. think that makes it better for what you're doing. It's like I'm talking to that person and I, I want them to get me. Mm-hmm. Do you think some comics come out on stage uh, like they're separate from the audience and they're going to hurt them or murder them? You know, because sometimes there's like this hunter personality. They come out like, I'm going to fucking kill each one yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, possibly. I mean, a lot of people see it as going to war against, you know, I'm going to kill and I'm yeah. going to murder. Yeah. I mean, I think if that works for you, you should totally do it. It doesn't sound like that's what's going in your, on in your mind. I mean, when I go and say, yes, I do want to kill because that's the whole point of it. You want to be up there and having a good time and doing it well. You want but a roaring laugh. Yeah, but I don't see the audience sort of as this enemy I'm trying to murder. Mm-hmm. It's more like as these people I'm trying to lead to the promised land in a way. Right. Like, see how I took it to the Jews, you know, Moses. <laughs> <laughs> You're and really I'm, adapting to New York well. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sure over time with any comic, that philosophy changes over time, that one thing is working, and then you, you might be be in a phase where you are more in a murderous sort of attack mode. Yeah, I mean, you want to murder. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a term that means you want to do very well. So it's murder where they get to live at the end of it. It's, it's a good kind of murder. Yeah, so, <laughs> so what goes on in your mind before you're getting on stage? Do you have a, a thing that you do? Uh, I always tell myself to have fun and be honest. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the two things that I live by. You, you go and something is happening, I want to address it. I, I don't want to be the guy that goes on stage and lunches into a bunch of jokes without establishing something with the audience first. Right. That common ground. Yeah, like something is weird about the room. Let's point it out. Mm-hmm. Something happened that does a weird energy. I want to point it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like going back to some of the things we were saying earlier, that's kind of a cultural thing as well. I've always found uh, people from certain parts of the world, Caribbean people. Um, I've always been amazed how like lighthearted they can be and just laugh a lot. 
Yes. Like, like no one in, in my experiences, people I've met, no one, white people can be very hesitant to just enjoy life and, and, and laugh in that way. But a lot of black people, especially Haitian, Dominican, Jamaican people that I've come across in my life, just laugh so hearty and so full of life. I'm like, I wish I could do that. Yeah, I, I was trying to explain that the other day. I think some of it has to do with adversity. Uh-huh. The more adversity you experience, the more... Yeah, life becomes funnier to you because it's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you've done, they call them urban shows, but shows with mostly black people in the mm -hmm. audience. Yeah. When you kill in a black room, yeah, you almost feel like you can fly after that. Because, because it's more interactive. And they laugh way harder than white people do. I yeah. Think. I think it's, a, it's more of a poor people thing as opposed to black and white. I will agree with that. I've People often go said through this. adversity. Yeah, it's more of a of a class thing. Yeah, wealth and wealth yeah. than uh, color. Absolutely, I think so. Yeah, and sometimes I feel bad being a representative of Haiti because Haitians are so naturally funny. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a comedian, so I go on stage and be funny, and I'm funny in real life too. But not to the extent that I've like I go home and I see people. I'm like, look at they're funnier than like, me. Such a waste of talent, right? They well, could do this thing and maybe not professionally the way because that's that's a different story. Being funny around people and being funny on stage are different things. But sometimes I see it. I'm like, that's that's amazing. I know it's never really good to generalize a whole group of people yeah. or a whole country, but to generalize a whole country, would you say Haiti is more has a more of a sense of humor because oh, yeah. there's a lot more poverty. Do you think that all plays I think, in? Yeah, I think that definitely, yeah. Because mm -hmm. when your life is shit, almost everything becomes funny so you can deal with the fact that it's shit. Right. Well, that's, yeah. that's what they say about uh, the Jews and black people, that they're the funniest. Yes, yes, I've heard that. There's like this connection because they've been through so much. Mm -hmm. like, I remember the earthquake, like a couple of days later, people were already <laughs> doing jokes about it. Because what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like everything you've known disappears in five seconds. Whereas like 9-11, you still can't comfortably make jokes about it. Right. It 15 right. years ago. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So people are making jokes about the earthquake. Oh, like, uh, yes. Left and right. Like yeah. what, what, what kind of things would be joked about? Well, th How was dark the, does it get? There was the sound <laughs> that it made when it happened. Yeah. So people would use the sound. <laughs> As like this callback for anything <laughs> terrible that like would happen. The rumbling earthquakes. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. So that became like this national callback for any joke you want to do, you know? Because the sound? Yeah, the sound of it. Can like, you make that sound? Goo -goo -goo. That, that's okay. what people okay. would, would do. <laughs> would, would you do that if someone made a joke that didn't land? Would you just go, goo -doo -goo -doo -goo -doo? <laughs> possibly? <laughs> I'm ready like for you. Just, you would just. <laughs> Walk behind someone and you just start making the sound. Uh-huh. Yeah, kind of like a prank thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, like you're joking with them, like the earthquake's happening now? Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Would you use the earthquake as like, oh, you kind of, you suck or you're not fun? Yeah, or? like somebody's shitty, like, oh, man, I wish you died in the earthquake. Why are you here? <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> really? It, it would be that oh, yeah. dark? Yeah. yeah. What about like if a, if a heavy person walks in the room, do you go do go do? <laughs> there you go you guys can <laughs> nice. go on a Haitian tour look at that now are you going to do stand up when you're there when you go back 
Oh yeah, I wanna. I actually went home and I was kind of scouting things out. Once I'm, I feel like once I'm at a comfortable place here, mm-hmm. I wanna go and open a comedy club in my hometown. Oh, so your plan is to move to Haiti? Well, not move as in go and live there, but I do want to make a couple of things happen because I found this thing and I think it's great and I see a lot of talent. I would love to introduce it to Haiti. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool because that's another motivating factor to get successful. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like people need that motivating factor because if you're just driven by ego, it's a pretty Yeah. Yeah. The ego can't sustain you. Yeah, no. For too long. It won't because you'll get a little succession. You're like, all right, I'm good. Yeah. Unless your ego's so maniacal that you need more and more. And then that's also a never-ending problem. If you just, nothing is ever good enough. Yeah. It you just lead, want more and more. more. It could lead to great unhappiness. Yeah. That's the root of all unhappiness, that nothing is enough. Mm-hmm. So you have a manager now. Yes, I do have a manager. You have a manager. Yeah. And they're managing your stand-up career and acting career. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't say I have an acting career. I mean, I would, if somebody asked me to do something, I would do it. We're trying to make your mom proud here. Come on. <laughs> I'm not a trained actor. <laughs> I can make faces maybe and say things, but yeah, stand-up mostly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what are they doing for you with stand-up? Uh, it's a she. She's very good at, you know, keeping me on task and recommending me for things, sending me, uh, writing jobs that I might want to apply for, trying to get me booked on the road and sort of like keeping me, cause a lot of comedians tend to be undisciplined. Yeah. So we'll make goals. I'm like, all right, this is what I need to do by June. So like every two weeks or so we'll, she'll get in touch with me and be like, are you doing this? Are we on task? Right. So you're setting short term goals. Yeah. To yeah. keep you focused. Mm-hmm. Like uh, for a writing, you have a writing packet? Yeah, yeah, things like that. All right, we got to get this done by Friday, so get on it. Mm-hmm. So now every night I go and try to have it done and send it to her and all that. Yeah. So it's like a nagging comedy mom. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good for you. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> and you have a nagging comedy mom that's mm-hmm. managing your career. That's yeah. good. And you have a regular nagging mom or is she a... Uh... Regular mom, not so much the nagging part. Because she's, I feel like, I think there's still room that we can have a reversal. But at this point, she doesn't care enough. About she's like giving up on your career or you. Yeah, yeah. Not me. She still loves me. I could tell you she loves you because yeah. you're you seem very well put together and. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd like to think I'm a decent son. Yeah, I'd like to think that. Yeah, yeah. No, she, I could tell you have a supportive parent. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. 
<clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Supportive? I wouldn't say that. No? No. She loves you unconditionally. Well, unconditional. Well, no, that wouldn't be accurate because one of the conditions would be not to do comedy. I think she would love me more if I wasn't doing comedy. So it's not unconditionally. Do you ever tell her how happy it's making you? Yeah, I tell her that's what I enjoy doing. That's what I want to do. But did you tell her that you're the ambassador for Haiti? <laughs> no, maybe I should tell her that. That yeah. might be the secret. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe she thinks you're in pursuit of selfish things. I mean, it's a little bit of both, you know? It's selfish and it's selfless. Because mm -hmm. I want to, when I'm, when I'm doing it, it's me doing it. So I get that satisfaction. Mm -hmm. it's, it's this like paradox within stand-up comedy. Because you need an ego to do it. Yeah. Because intrinsically, the fact that you get to go on stage and say things and want people to listen to you, that's pretty arrogant. Like, who are you that people should listen to you? Yeah, and if you didn't have an ego about it, you wouldn't even get on stage. Exactly. Yeah. But then to get really good at it and reach that next level, then your ego kind of have to disappear if you want to be good at it. Because mm -hmm. the best comedians, to me, are people that are extremely vulnerable on stage and do not place themselves above the audience. Right. Well, I think that's one thing that stand-up comedy nurtures. The yeah. Self-deprecation. Yeah. And everyone yeah. bombs enough where you get Right. Humbled. You get to be honest about your shortcomings and people can relate to that. You just get to be real. Even whatever is, whatever dirty things that you have about you, I think if you hope to be a good comedian, you should be honest about them on stage. Yeah, they'll come to the forefront. Yeah, and that's why when the Cosby thing came out, I wasn't too surprised by it because I never liked the fact that Cosby was this 100% clean-cut comedian. Right. Because that never felt real to me. That would berate and lecture other comedians. Yeah, it's like, oh, you this perfect guy, you don't even say curse words on stage. That's not real. Life isn't that clean of a process where you have to be perfect all the time. I never liked that. It's almost a red flag. It's like the Repu yeah, it's like yeah. a Republican heterophobe exactly. that you find in a gay bar. It's like, come on, <laughs> what are you doing? You, you always felt Cosby was was overcompensating by being like an acting like an angel. Yeah. That, that, that was that holier was a red than flag thou kind of yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I don't like it. No sex jokes, nothing like Everybody has things you want to, you know. I think your intuition is saying that it's too extreme. Yeah, it's yeah. too extreme. Yeah, I'm, I grew up with a lot of extremes. I'm very wary of extremes. Any yeah. extreme. Yeah. Like, whatever, I respect religions, but if I see you wearing a burqa and it's 98 degrees outside. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. What do you do? Same with an Orthodox Jew. Take that th thick hat <laughs> off. It's almost 100 degrees. You That's must be boiling. That's not the key to heaven, you know? Just enjoy the fucking summer. That's why it's there. God gave you the summer to not wear that many clothes. Exactly. It's too extreme. Red flags are going off in my brain. It has yeah. nothing to do with religion. I think you're a freak. Yeah. Yeah. But the, to get back to the stand-up comedy, 
stand-up comedy a lot about is finding your individual voice yes also yes and you have a unique perspective which will separate you from you know sometimes you see so much comedy it's like bobbleheads you know you can like yeah, move yeah. one person's head and put it on right, another right right it's Take a blur those jokes and put them in somebody else's mouth and they would be the same thing. same person yeah yeah but you you're coming from haiti with a unique perspective a, a different look you're just not your average white guy from new york right i think that's a good thing i mean i think there's levels to comedy when 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 you first start the basic thing is you're trying to be competent meaning you're learning how to be somebody that goes on stage and can make people laugh mm -hmm. that's like level one of comedy just mm -hmm. that you got to be able to do that that's what it is right you start with the basic jokes yeah yeah you're trying to you know learn how to be not nervous because it's weird to just be in front of people you don't know and you're saying things i think that's like number one or number two fear of people public speaking yeah see that's so, where i i was a singer before i did stand up oh so, so that like, was never a thing for you never like, okay right when i started stand up like i knew how to use a mic i knew how to be on stage like why would you quit singing to do comedy that's not how it goes <laughs> i know <laughs> and i do miss the aspect of music that we talked about um i did a lot of touring uh as a band playing okay music, so i kind of like it's like all right so yeah what, what's like next okay yeah so you're trying to be competent and once you figure that out then you try to figure the next step which i think is now that i know how to make people laugh mm -hmm. who am i yeah how do i not be just one of a couple of funny guys now i would imagine because you moved here at 18 or 19 that uh who you are is kind of a jumble because we're, yeah it's, it's such a, it's a, a mix of everything it is and it's such a formative time that age up to the 20 in the 20s yeah it becomes who you are for the rest of your life yeah but you were a child you grew up for 18 years in haiti yes so you're doing stand-up and you're finding this identity who you are simultaneously mm -hmm. while you're trying to make people laugh yeah. of course but who are you like i don't know how to answer that question that's such a layered and you know yeah do we even know really i mean i know the things that i like the thoughts that i have but at one point at what point will you not relate to being a haitian guy what do you mean? Like, at what point will you be like, you know what? I'm just, I feel like I'm an American now. I feel like I'm a New Yorker. Do you think you'll ever lose that uh, sense of identity? No, I don't think so. I think that's too deeply embedded in, in me. Sure, he's, he's at 500% yeah, right now. Yeah, I mean, it would take, yeah. it would take that's, that's pretty many strong. lifetimes never to, to go away, that. You know, that's too deep of a part of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but you must notice when you go back to haiti that you're like whoa i've changed yeah there's there's a couple of things mm -hmm. that have changed what, what is the most american thing that that has influenced you what is like the thing you go back to haiti and people are like where the fuck did that come from um phrase or something that you do or something cultural the fact that you don't beat up other people's kids <laughs> <laughs> he's I, so I american i do that <laughs> I think there's this thing where I don't know if it happens in your communities, but for black people, uh, when you, you go out in the world and you learn something and you come back and you try to share it, 
with people. The people who stayed and never went anywhere else, they have this defense mechanism against whatever you're bringing. And yeah. you're like, Fear. you've changed. You're Fear acting white now. That's Fear usually the what they do. Yeah. So I would, you know, Haiti is very, the cultural identity of it is a lot of voodoo, a lot of that stuff. The dark arts. around. Yeah. So, and that permeates the culture in all kinds of ways. Like to have a business, you sort of have to find protection that way to keep your business afloat. And what, how so? Like do some spells to protect your business? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say spells, but it's much deeper than that. You, you would arm yourself mm -hmm. in your own kind of way to prevent people from harming or ruining your business. Can you be more specific? Arm yourself with what? Because as uh, American, I'm thinking, oh, guns. No. Right. Yeah, I know it's like invisible guns. Yeah. With what? Uh, Voodoo? I wouldn't say it's, it's not spirits. It's, it's almost like you... Uh, how do I explain this? It's not, it's not the stereotypical like voodoo dolls, that kind of stuff that you see. Right. But it's almost like you getting protection from the unseen world. Well, isn't that what God is? <laughs> yeah, but I guess this one is more hands-on than, uh -huh. than, than God. Yeah. A lot of the, the zombie mythology started in Haiti, is that Yeah, correct? yeah. So is, yeah. Do, is that still part of the culture? Is oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So yeah, that, I, can't, I can't wait to, to have a medium where I can tell those stories, because a lot of them are incredibly fascinating. I want to hear. I want to hear more specifics. I feel like you're you're teasing around the edges here. Yeah, there's there's so many things. Okay, I'll try to tell you the story. Uh, when I went home, my little brother was telling me about this thing that happened. One of our like removed maybe fifth cousins, he uh, died right, and his mom. He died out of nowhere. There was no sickness, nothing. And his mom, who is very into the dark arts, went to a seance, mm -hmm. a turning table, that's what they call it. That's a place where you can go and call the dead. Speak to the dead, yeah. To speak to them and find out what happened. Right. Like, like we have a Ouija board. Yeah. So it's like, you weren't sick, so I want to know how you died. Right. So I can do something about it. So she called him, and he basically told her, this is what happened. So apparently, he sold something to someone, and it was a bad deal. Mm -hmm. And the person, out of anger, or I guess they wanted their money back, they couldn't get it back, they murdered him. So, oh, so he was saying that he was murdered. Yeah, he was murdered. Did he say by who? Yeah. To give they all the details. Wow. So basically the way he died was, and it's just some freaky shit. He was standing on the corner of the street talking to a couple of friends, just dudes doing dude stuff. And out of nowhere, he just started like punching in the air. Uh -huh. He was like, like punching a punching bag that wasn't there. So he's fighting invisible people so he's basically fighting spirits and his friends are losing their shit they're like what the fuck is happening yeah so he does that for a few seconds 
and then he falls. So I guess that meant he lost the battle. So they took him to the hospital, and a couple days later, he died. So who murdered him? Someone that was already dead? Well, the person that murdered him used those spirits that the other people could not see. Oh, wow. To kill him. So does this up, is this with upstand in a court of law? I mean... Not at all. No, you have right? no proof. <laughs> that's why it's so murky. Once you go down there, that's the only way you can fight it. So his mom, knowing what she knows, said, all right, then we'll take care of it. Now, how do you know if it's true or if it's just a delusion that she had talking to spirits? Well, I mean, if you call someone who's dead, I guess they have no reason to lie to you. But how do you know she even spoke to the dead person? Uh, I guess it's a time-tested method. Mm -hmm. So you have to believe in it. So this is common to speak to dead people. This is a thing. Yeah. It yeah. Is. It's not even just, I mean, it's very strong in Haiti and in some cultures in Africa, but that's something a lot of Europeans do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I could see that being kind of nice because then when people die, they're not gone forever. Right. They're just right. existing in a different dimension. Yeah. But a little bit. It's, it's a very, it's a rich world of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. All that different than uh, American culture, the way people are religious and believe that, you know, their loved ones are in go, heaven go or possibly heaven. hell. Yeah. And, yeah. and that they oh, I can still feel his or her presence here. Yeah, voodoo yeah. practically is a religion that was born during slavery. And that was the slave's way of uh, coping right. with their daily slave lives. Right. So they would get together and play the drums and tam-tam and just dance and sing. And that was voodoo. It's almost like Catholicism. Like they have saints and like they have their own version of the Virgin Mary. They have all those things. Mm -hmm. But then there's this branched out part of it that kind of became the witchcraft and the sorcerers. And that's the dark part where you use the religion to do evil. Were they doing that to cast spells on the slave owners? Sort of, sort yeah. of. I'm sure that's how it originated. And then it became a thing to fight all your enemies or anyone who disrespects you. You just take him out. So are people like literally scared that someone's going to put a spell on them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that a, is that a common if you If you know you're, you've wronged somebody, yeah. then you live with that fear. Yeah. Do you ever use that here? You could probably scare the hell out of some people. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't practice. And for the most part, I don't believe in it. You don't? I don't, but I've heard enough stories and I know that the world is not as black and white as it seems. Yeah. So there's a lot of things. Even though I don't believe in them, I do not discard them. Right. Yeah. Would you ever try and cast a spell yourself? No, I, w I wouldn't be interested in that. You wouldn't? Okay. No. Do you believe that you can talk to people that have already passed? I don't believe it, but I don't think it's impossible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think you need to believe it to be able to have that conversation? Maybe. Mm. Maybe that's how we make things happen. Maybe belief is really the thing you need for anything to be real. I believe they call that faith. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tricky, slippery slope. Yeah. So I, th that's the main thing that's different. So I try to come to like my old friends and family with this new kind of 
more scientific perspective about things. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, no, you don't know how things work. It's like you forgot where you came from. This is Haiti. That's how things happen. You have to live like a Haitian when you're in Haiti. You have to follow the dark arts. You got to do these things. And that's what they say is the most American thing about you. Yeah. I like how we went quite around the circle to come back to that. Yeah, yeah. very nicely done. Okay, good. Very nicely done. But um, you must be uh, at conflict with this. Does part of you like, oh, I'm changing, I'm turning into an American? Do you uh, feel like you're losing your roots, like your roots are slipping out? No, I don't, I don't think I am. Uh, they might think that. But I, I, I think I... I'm richer. I think everything I do becomes a part of me. Every the experience that I've had, like I lived in Utah for 18 months. So mm. that's a part of me now. I, I'm a comedian. Like I've met people and I've had all those experiences. I think it just makes you, uh, you have more to you as a person. Yeah. I'd rather that than just have this tiny amount of world in me. I'd rather have so many worlds in me. I think it's better. Yeah, but isn't yeah. it difficult uh, when you... Because one thing that I think is human nature is tribalism. Yeah. I think yeah. humans, they're just like, this is my culture, this is my thing. And it's like they've just formed their tribe. Yeah. And when you move around a lot or you're not from your native place anymore, like I don't feel a sense of belonging to anywhere really, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, from all my travels, like I'm in Spain, I'm in the north of Spain, they're the Basque region they don't get along with the Catalans who are in Barcelona and the Spanish in Madrid. And then I'm like, well, it's only a two hour drive. And then I'm in Madrid and they hate the, the Catalans in Barcelona. And I'm just like, ah, you know, I yeah, don't care. Yeah. Like how, how small and minuscule are we going to get with the tribalism? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't like the idea of tribalism. I don't subscribe to it. I don't try, I, don't, I try not to live by it. I think before you, anything else, before I'm a man, before I'm a Haitian, before I'm whatever, I'm a person, I'm a human being. Mm. And to a certain level, that means being able to connect to any other human being. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of what is going to fuel anything you're trying to do, like whether it's a creative thing or it's a business thing, because... If I can go to Sri Lanka, I want to be able to get Sri Lankans. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't know about their culture, but to us, like at that deep core, we're people. Right. And life is very hacky. We all go through the same things. Yeah. So it's not going to be that different for me to, it's not going to be that hard for me to connect to them. And I don't want to lose that part of me that helps me connect with people. That's mm-hmm. why I don't want to be too tribalistic. Yeah, and like as far as identity goes, like how do you, where do you stand? I mean, what do you mean exactly by that? I mean, I am Haitian. Yes, that's so. That's where you. That's where you root yourself. Yeah. So I feel like everyone kind of roots themselves, whether they know it consciously or not. They root themselves in some sort of identity. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's it's always healthy, and it seems like you've done this well to balance the assimilation. Of wherever you are and holding on to where you've come from. Yeah. And so when, when someone says, who are you? What's your first answer? 
What, do you, I, what I, does I, your mind? I'm go? honestly baffled by that question because I'm not religious, but I do feel culturally Jewish at times. Right. I, and that might have just been uh, reaffirmed by the anti-Jewish stuff I've experienced firsthand. Mm -hmm. So maybe I relate to that. Um, but I don't know. You know, yeah. I'm very uh, sensitive to this tribalism that I see everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I don't like anywhere you go. That's the best place. Yeah. You know, everyone's like, yeah. this is the best place. And I'm like, oh, well, well, when I lived in L.A., everyone thought that was the best place. Right. Then, But you got to think every place is the best place to someone. Right. But nowhere is the best place. It's the best place for you at that time in your life. Right. Maybe in three years, you won't like this place and you'll move somewhere else. You know? And that's the danger of tribalism, because then you get, you can use it to exclude other people and, and see them up as your own the self. other and they become yeah. the enemy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's different cultures that are more open to other cultures. Like in France, for example, they're very... Uh, absorbed with their own culture yes they don't want yeah. to let other cultures in oh yeah muslims have a hard time in france exactly yeah. they want to preserve this french thing that they have because they think it's well, i'm a poet and philosopher and i smoke cigarettes and drink wine <laughs> exactly yeah everywhere is a little bit more tolerant and less tolerant than others yeah but yeah i wish and it's something i'm thinking about like i wish i had a strong identity i mean i know who i am mm -hmm. but i also feel like disconnected from all this tribalism because when people start to get into it, i'm like oh whatever you know it's it feels small town to me okay it feels like oh you're just a small town person like probably why you know all of us and many other are attracted to a place like new york mm -hmm. where it's a place where you don't have to feel that everything. all, all yeah. the time you can go back to it anytime you want but you can live your you can go through a day not feeling specifically connected to any culture or tribe or anything like that. And just, you know, you can have th three different meals in your day, which come from all different parts of the world and you can take that in yeah. and, and enjoy it and live it. Yeah. I Absolutely. mean, it's, it's all part of this, the, the life of, it's all part of life, figuring out our identity. And yeah. It Who to the are stage. we really? Do we know? Does exactly. anybody really know? Mm -hmm. But you know, even though I sense that it's morphing slowly mm -hmm. with you. Uh, I know and I don't know. It's very dualistic. I know where I'm from and the things I want and what I do. But you've but, been here nine years. You were in Haiti for 18. Yeah. So... At some point, those numbers might even out. And then who will you be? A citizen of the world. I think, I think you'll be the same person, pretty much. Gary, you seem to want to push him into uh, giving yeah. up a little bit of that 500%. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Do you feel like I'm pushing you? No, I mean, I think people would change. See, depending, uh, <laughs> People would change a little bit depending on, on what happens to you. Right. You know? It's kind of like you're watching a TV show and then this happens and that's going to lead to some character development. So if enough things happen in your life, then you're going to get to a place that's going to be different from like, let's say 10 years ago. But here's the thing. Are you changing or are you becoming who you were meant to be in the first place, really? It's a good question. It depends on what you believe. And how you rationalize things. Right. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, the fact that your identity is perhaps evolving 
is probably good for your art. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the best because you don't want to be static. That's the worst thing for art. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's probably the best thing you can deliver to your art. And it's also the hardest thing because then you might see jokes, you might see a set from a year or two ago and you'd be like, oh, God. Right. Who was right. that guy? Yeah. Hopefully. If everything you do and you look back at it and you think it's amazing, that means you're not evolving. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I always, when I was uh, putting out music, I was like, oh, well, I'm putting out a record, a record of my time in that time. It's just a record of that time. Right, right. Because by the time a record is mixed and recorded and put out, you've already written those songs a year ago. Exactly, yeah. You're yeah. not real quite that person anymore. Yeah, I'm not anymore. feeling them anymore, yeah. See, I was watching this interview with Prince, and they were talking to him about it, and he was saying, everything that's done is done for the time it's done, and then you move on from it. Yeah. And by the time you do something else, you're new, and you're fresh, you're different. And I think that's a big challenge on the ego because the ego wants to be like, that's amazing. But then all of a sudden, by the time it's out, it's a year later. And you're like, who is that guy? Yeah. I, Louis saying he doesn't even feel like doing Louis anymore. Yeah. The TV show. TV show. Yeah. Yeah. He is not that person anymore. Yeah. He's like, I don't have any more stories for that guy that divorced dad was struggling. I don't have that anymore. Which is great. He's not feeling the financial pressure. Or, or fan pressure and that, that's the putting freedom. something out that's that the freedom he's, he's disconnected to. Because yeah. once you start doing something and it's successful, the capitalist inside of you is like, oh, more of that so I can amass more fortune. Right. That's why you see so many television shows where like oh, the they, last third oh. of their their existence the last few years are just terrible because it's just all about money. That was the brilliance of Breaking Bad. They uh, stopped yeah, right at five seasons Perfect. and that was just a good way to end the story. Yes. Yeah, preserve the art of it. Yeah. Don't ruin it, because that's life. Nothing lasts forever. Stop it. Just end it. I feel like a lot of shows struggle because they don't know where they want to end it. Mm -hmm. You just do it, and then you keep going. You keep going, inventing stories, creating new characters, and then it just feels like you're going in circles, because there's not that many stories you can tell. I, I think one of the magical thing, one of the key things you got to have to make something well, you got to know how it ends, mm. where you want to take it, or and then play with whatever's in the middle. Or not know how it ends and just keep it evolving enough where it changes enough to keep it fresh. Yeah. But that's, I think that's limited, though. It could be. But then yeah. I'm still watching The Simpsons, and they're on season 70 million, and it's still hilarious. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they their their characters don't age, so they have a little bit of a different situation. That is true. Which would make it even stranger that it's still funny. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, South Park is, what, 19 season now? And I'm, that's one of my favorite things in the still, world. Still good. Yeah. But they do the thing where they are evolving with the cultural norms i think that's the difference for comedy you have mm -hmm. a little bit more of that freedom yeah but louis his thing is very real life based yeah and he's a guy in it so the stories he can tell are sort of limited to what happens to a guy as opposed to south park where you have cartoons and yeah. children and you can there's a wide world of things you can do with that you ever think of a TV show that you would write where you're the star of it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? What yeah. Would, what would that TV show look like? I have a lot of things in, that I started writing. Uh, do you know David Finkelstein? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So we have this very... Who went from being pretty orthodox to now he's not even wearing a yarmulke. Out. Right. So actually, I already wrote this web series. So I'm uh, working on pitching it to see who's going to help me produce it. So me and him, we have a very good friendship. And it was born from the love of comedy. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't be any more different personally yeah. as people. And I think that's a good dynamic to explore. So I already wrote that. And then I have this other part of my life where I worked in Utah as a counselor in the, people call them boot camp or survival camp, mm-hmm. but the official term is wilderness therapy. Okay. So I was getting paid to camp and hike in the woods with troubled youth. So you're, you're teaching them how to survive in the wilderness? How to survive and how to become better people. Foraging? You know all the plants? Yeah, I know how to make fire with five different ways, with sticks and stones. Oh, Just give me a lighter. I can survival. make a fire. Anyway. <laughs> Just survival stuff. So that's a, that's a very rich world and the stories of these children who are mostly very wealthy, mm-hmm. but they were just fucking their lives up and their parents would send them to this program. And it was my job and other people to kind of try to keep them in line. And that's, I could see that I've being had, very therapeutic for them. Yeah, yeah. That's it's supposed to be therapy. They say you know when people go to war, they come back and then they find themselves in the grocery aisle and they're like, I don't care, I don't want any cereal. Like right. They, they miss feeling that life or death. Yeah. Feeling life, you know, Pretty because much. when you're out in the wilderness and you're fighting for life and survival and you have nothing, that is feeling alive. Yeah, so I want to explore that part of my life, what it did to me and what it did to the kids. And it's, it's, it's such a world in and of itself. So I would love to do a TV show about that. Mm. And I think it's original because I don't think I've seen anything like it. Got to get, man- yeah. get your manager on that. Mm-hmm. What's she doing? I know, right? Let's call her up right now. But you got to make sure, you know, comedy is very, there's a hierarchy in show business. Right now, I don't think I have the clout to go to a network and be like, hey, Make I have this. a show. Let's yeah. do it. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't mind waiting. And the more I wait, I think the better it's going to be anyway. So what about filming a like kind of a prototype? That's what I'm doing with the web series. The right. first part, cool. me and David Finkelstein. Yeah. Nice. I look forward to that. It could, yeah. it could get it start much like Broad City. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Broad City started with a web series. They're like, And then three, Comedy Central picked it up. Yeah. Like three, yeah. three minute episodes. <clears throat> I think you'll Sorry. find you'll find your identity in that. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good world to be in, and comedy is almost like a stock now, which is good and bad. What do you mean a stock? It's very hot. Oh uh, yeah, right now. So mm-hmm. a lot of people that weren't interested in it are just. I know that concerns me. There's so many me. new networks trying to do comedy shows, and it's like good because it's putting money into a lot of people's pockets, but. Bad because it's a, it's a bubble and most bubbles are going to burst. With my luck, by the time I get great, it's going to be like totally out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that also means there's a potential for more middle of the road, mediocre stuff to be out. Yeah. 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 I, I think part of Louis wanting to stop Louis is like, oh, it's a story about a stand-up comedian. You know, there's a time where it's like, all right, we've had enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? Hmm, that question that I don't like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nah, just doing <clears throat> doing shows, uh, getting 
better at stand up. Like we're finding that thing where it's like, okay, what is it about me that makes me funny, that makes me connect with people? So we're mm -hmm. finding that and becoming more original because I think that's the only way you can survive in a place like New York City where there's so many funny people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And loving the audience as one person. Absolutely. And just seeing them the captain of the ship that's right yeah they're my crew which ironically is a cosby quote oh really yeah you heard this about bill cosby describing stand-up he's like oh, when, wow when you do stand-up you're like the pilot of the airplane you know you don't want to tell people oh i'm gonna switch this control and you know i don't know it's a little they want you to just fly the plane and land it confidently mm. they don't want to know if there's any problems yeah you know? I wish it would apply that logic to his relationship with women. I wish it would, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't get into your sex life this time, but uh, maybe next time. <laughs> we'll hear what it's like being a Haitian man on the prowl in New York. Uh, man, it's okay. It's okay. I don't starve. I do all right. Yeah? Yeah. Do you find that uh, women are treating you much like a, a kink? Like, oh, I want to sleep with a black guy. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you want to be mad at it, but it's like, who, somebody, everybody's a fetish to somebody. So it mm -hmm. doesn't matter that much to me. What, what's the tip off when you're like, oh, she's not into me. She's into me because I'm a black guy. The tip off, um, I guess when it's very clear that the interest is not in you as a person, Like, can you dribble a basketball while you're fucking? Yeah, when, like you that? know, just when, <laughs> when it's brought up very blatantly and you're like, uh -huh. all right, I'm not. Because guys don't want to be, as much as people would think women don't want to be objectified, guys don't want to be objectified either. Right. Yeah. But sometimes we're more willing to take one for the team. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've taken so many for the team. <laughs> you got to do that. Sometimes you must be like, all right, I'll sleep with her. Let her check it off her bucket list. And I'll just. Yeah. And I this, think you go so. through phases in your life as a guy where, you know, you learn, you start having sex and then you get to the place where you're like, you just have a lot of sex. Like the conqueror part of you just want to sleep with as many people as possible and then that gets tiring and it becomes empty and annoying so you want to have a connection an emotional connection with somebody mm -hmm. and i think i'm I'm on the bridge between those two mm -hmm. i'm like i still want to fuck a lot of people but i also want to have somebody i'm like yeah and there you just We're ran cool. into the problem of marriage <laughs> because yeah. that wanting to fuck a lot of people might never go away <laughs> yeah yeah that's and i ask older men and that it actually never goes away right yeah and then that's you have to decide is it worth the compromise to make this pretty much or do you want to just be in an open relationship and risk the jealousy that also gets tricky because you might think you want to then you start it and you're like oh some dude is putting his dick in my lady's asshole i don't think i like that <laughs> i like how you went right to the asshole <laughs> i feel like that's the part that hurts more because <laughs> that's a special thing she should say for you so it's like come on that was for my birthday <laughs> <laughs> giving away your birthday present <laughs> exactly <laughs> Well, thanks for being here and talking to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a fun conversation. Yeah.